Hello, and welcome to our Biblical Education Series here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. You can find this series and others from our Biblical Education Program available online at onefellowshipumc.org and on the One Fellowship Church podcast. This evening, we are pleased to welcome Rev. Spike Burtz, who is leading us through this six-part series on the Book of Ephesians. Rev. Burt studied at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama, and currently works at McLennan Community College. This recording has been abbreviated for online distribution. All right, so um, just a word of kind of what we're going to do in our study. So what I like to do is I like to teach a little bit differently than uh, a lot of people. Here you go, brother. Come on down. Grab one of those. Um, So... You're going to find out really quickly that I'm really obsessed with the book of Ephesians. And so I want to be as faithful as I can to the text, but I also want to be as faithful as possible to the group discussion. So in order to do that, what I want to do is I want to give a very short lecture for about 10 minutes, and then we're going to cover some study questions you can find in the booklet itself um, for probably about 50 minutes. Um, And so that's kind of the format. This book is... Again, I'm obsessed with this book, and if you, uh, I'm not going to be able to cover everything I want to cover, but it's in here, so take it home and read it, because it's there. Uh, so I spent the whole summer writing this, because um, I knew that I was doing this, and um, so that's what we're doing. So the book of Ephesians, why are we studying the book of Ephesians? The book of Ephesians is simply about hope. Um, it is kind of like the book of Romans summarized into six chapters, it is, in many ways, the nutshell of the gospel. It's, okay, what's the gospel? Here's the nutshell of it. Uh, and so what we're going to look at is this concept of hope throughout the entire book. And so we're going to do it in six weeks. Um, and this, the way that I've outlined the book in six weeks is totally unique. Um, so it very well could be heretical. If it is, then stone me. Um, so it's either ingenious or heretical. There's really no other two options because no one else does it. Um, So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at an introduction to Ephesians. Next week, we're going to look at a foundation of hope, um, a a realized hope. The next week of that, the foundation of hope. Then we're going to look at the effects of hope for two weeks. And then finally, we're going to finish up with the power of hope, which is probably the most famous sections of Ephesians, which is the whole armor of God section, uh, which I am uh, willing to bet that most of y'all have read or heard preached, or heard about somewhere, or at least seen the little costumes that kids wear around Halloween for the armor of God on. Um, and so we're going to talk about all these things in play uh, in Ephesus. To do that, we're going to jump into the text itself. So if you turn with me to page 3, uh, we're going to look at the text. So we're going to start with Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 20. Will somebody read that for us out loud? And I would prefer that you read it from, this, from the book itself. And the reason why is when you're studying the book of Ephesians, different translations translate it differently. And a lot of translations leave out or change key words that help us actually understand what's taking place in the, in the book itself. Um, a great example of this is if you have the New Living Translation, which I love the New Living Translation. The, pro- the problem with the New Living Translation of Ephesians is it really changes words where you're like, what's happening it misses some things that the ESV makes kind of more plain. So if somebody will read that for us, and then we'll jump to the next section, and then we'll actually jump into a, a little mini-lecture and then our discussions. And it happened that while Apollo was, was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland, inland country and came 
to Ephesians. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit which you believed when you believed? No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John, baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Do I go on to 20? Yes. Okay. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and committed in unbelief, speaking evil of the war of the way before the congregation, he withdrew, he withdrew them from he withdrew uh, withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the in the hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus. Good enough for me. <laughs> this is continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jesus and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. I'll take over. All right. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by, the, by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Uh, seven sons of, Jewish, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastering all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they, content, they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the, Lord, the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. All right. Now, in the next section, which we're going to skip, I'll just highlight it for you. What happens is a huge riot takes place. People are getting saved in Ephesus. And the, the people that made idols uh, to serve Artemis were losing money. Artemis was losing followers, and they were getting extremely upset with Christians, causing a massive amount of chaos in the city, which a whole shindig took place. Now, let's read this last section here, Ephesians 1, 1 through 2, and then I'll talk about this, and then we'll get into our discussion questions. There's some really cool stuff in this passage. All right, Nick, will you read that, 1, 1 through 2? Ephesians 1, 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so some of the key things that you're going to have heard in that passage is 
first of all, where is Ephesus? Does anybody have any idea where the city of Ephesus is located? Greece. It is in Greece. It's well, sort of. It's on the opposite end. It's Turkey. It's modern day Turkey. Um, so I'm going to draw a really terrible map. Um, so if you look at the world, you see this little boot, and we call that kind of like Italy, right? There's a there's like France and Egypt over here, over here, and then this island over here is Greece. And then right here is Jerusalem, Israel. Up here is where Ephesus would have been. So Francis, Egypt, and Greece, and all this tied in together is right there with each other? It's not right there. So France is way over here, way over there. Uh, we're talking, that's probably 2,000, 3,000 miles away from France. Oh, okay. But it's... You know, maybe only 500 or 600 miles away from Egypt. I'm not sure. So anyhow, it's in modern-day Turkey. Now, the thing that's important about this letter is when Paul goes to Ephesus, something really interesting happens. In the first section that we read, anybody see anything weird that happened? The sons of Sceva, right? We read it pretty quickly. What happened with those guys? Remember they were, they were going around and they were trying to rebuke demons from people, and then what happens? The demons speak. Oh, the evil spirit came out of them? Well, that's when Paul, Paul was preaching and Paul was rebuking demons, but something happens when the sons of Sceva try to do it, and they say, hey, in the name of Jesus, you get out of that person. And the demons say, what? Yeah, the demon says, huh? I don't know who you is. Who are you? I know who Paul is. I know who Jesus is. Who are you? And then it says that the demonically possessed person beat up the sons of Sceva, and they, they fled away wounded and naked. Okay? Something else really interesting happened in that passage as well. It says that after a group of them got saved, they brought something to Paul, and they had a huge bonfire. Anybody see that in the text? What did they bring to Paul? They were practicing something in the text, it says. They were practicing magic. Now, this is actually really essential for understanding the whole book of Ephesians. These two concepts, magic and artists. Okay? Magic. So, in that day and period, in that day and age, in that period, there were magicians. Now, you got to think in terms of more like a voodoo priest. When you go to a voodoo priest, they will create some type of doll or give you something to protect you from evil spirits. And that's kind of like what these people were doing back in that day. They were actually had, we have found them in archaeology, and I wish Cosmos here because he would actually know specifically where this is, um, but they have actually found all these tablets with magic inscriptions on them that were supposed to protect people from evil spirits. And it tells us in the text that they burned a mess load of those scrolls. It's like, so, magical arts, if people are going to what I would call a voodoo priest, what does that tell you about those people? And this is a wide, this is all over the place. All over Ephesus, people are going to magical artists to get protected from evil spirits. What does that tell you? Superstitious. They were not, they were not just superstitious, they were even, I really messed up, superstitious. They were afraid. So it's more than just superstitions. It's, there's some fear. 
And we're going to see that because Paul addresses that fear throughout his letter in Ephesus. And this is actually why Ephesians 6 is so important, the armor of God. A lot of times preachers, never, they, they, they treat it as though it's like this standalone section and they never actually link it back to all the stuff that Paul's already talked about in the letter. And this is essential for understanding the letter. It's this whole fear of magic, fear of evil spirits. And you also have this thing with Artemis. Now, does anybody have any idea who Artemis was? She was Apollo's sister, the gossip, right? Wow! <laughs> you are awesome! Okay, the goddess of the hunt. Now, how many of y'all have ever heard of the seven wonders of the ancient world? Mm -hmm. Heard of them? Heard of now, if you can name them, I'd be really sweet. Can you name them? Is one of them a pyramid? Yes, one of them was a pyramid. I forgot that one. I don't know the other ones except in Ephesus, they had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, and it was the largest temple to Artemis in the known world. They took worshiping Artemis to the extreme. Now, Artemis was the goddess of the hunt, and they actually devoted part of their culture to making sure that their children and everyone in their city was obeying Artemis' desires. They were appeasing her. Now, if you did not appease Artemis, bad stuff happened to you in their thought process. They literally thought that if you did not appease Artemis, you're going to get a plague sent on you. So, don't obey Artemis, you're going to get a plague. Don't protect yourself from magical evil spirits, you're going to get something bad juju happen to you, right? Now, this is the context that Paul is writing this letter into. On top of that, you have the fact that these were Christians. And Christians living in this time period, while not necessarily persecuted in a sense where they were being thrown into lions, they were being belittled. They were not well liked. In many ways, they were like the geek in high school that everyone just despised. Me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it was me too. All right. So Paul is writing this letter to them. Now, who is Paul? What do we know about Paul? What are some really quick things we know about Paul? He was a Roman. He was a Roman. Okay. Paul was a Roman. What else do we know about Paul? Wasn't he like on the run or something? Sort of. Paul. We know that Paul. So we're going to jump a page. And we're going to jump into this. So we'll go to page five. Okay. Paul was Jewish ethnically. He was Jewish religiously. Um, Paul actually studied under a guy named Gamaliel, who, in my understanding of things, was like the Bruce Lee of Judaism. Okay? Y'all are familiar with that term, Bruce Lee, right? The name? Bruce Lee was the man. Now, if you were being trained by somebody that was trained by Bruce Lee, I don't want to mess with you. <laughs> If your master was Bruce Lee and you know all of Bruce Lee's moves, I do not want to fight you. Why do I not want to fight them? They're very skilled. They're going to tear me to pieces. Peter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I ain't messing with that. Sometimes you're defeated before you get started when you have fear. That is true. And we're actually going to talk about that a lot in Ephesians. So, what happens is, Paul is, he is. He studies under this guy that knows everything there is to know about Judaism. And Paul becomes the man. When it, become, when, it, when it concerns Jewish religion, Paul knew his stuff. Paul was also a Pharisee. The Pharisees were a group of people that really took obeying the law seriously. 
they added laws upon laws upon laws uh, to make sure that they didn't break God's laws. Now, we also know that Paul persecuted Christians. Now, what happens in Acts chapter 9 to Paul that changes him? Anybody remember that? Something drastic happens to Paul. He meets somebody on the road. He meets Jesus. Okay, now in my redneck language here, Jesus goes, bling! (laughs) Right? Paul falls to the ground. He's blinded. He can't see. And he says, oh, Lord Jesus. What happened? Changes his life. Now, after Paul becomes Christian, things change. So he still is ethnically Jewish. He's still technically religiously Jesus, uh, Jewish, even though he's worshiped Messiah. Um, but he's no longer persecuting Christians. He's no longer going out and killing Christians. He's now going out preaching the gospel, starting churches. Now, that's Paul. Ephesus, we've talked a little bit about. The church at Ephesus was a mixture of both Jews and Gentiles. They were people that came from the society where they were saved out of this concept where they had to go be protected from evil spirits. They had to obey Artemis. They had to do all these things. They had to obey the Roman government because if you didn't obey the Roman government, they just beat you. Um, that's, that's what it was. They just they didn't play. Uh, the one rule in Rome, in any Roman town, was do whatever you want, just don't get caught by Rome. Um, so you can do what you want, but if a Roman soldier catches you or says something to you and you don't do it, it ain't going good for you. Rome did not take lightly to people messing with Rome. Um, so these people become saved, but, but they're living in a society that does not appreciate them and does not like them. They're living in a society that is heavily based on fear and devoting time and money and energy to protecting themselves from evil spirits, from, to a, a, appeasing Artemis, to doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, they get saved, and now Paul is with them for three years, and these people are saying to themselves, okay, but what now? What now? Where's my hope, Paul? Where's my hope? For so long, we took hope in obeying Artemis. We took hope in all these other things, but where's my hope now? Paul's going to spend six chapters addressing where the hope of the Christian is. Now, some key themes in this book. You know, I'm almost done with this micro lecture. Uh, and we're going to get some discussion questions. Key theme number one, grace. Okay, what's grace? What's the definition of grace you've heard? God's love. God's love, for sure. What else is the definition of grace? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I think kind of like a, like a grace, you think like when you hear due date, it's due. Sometimes people give you a grace period. A grace period, okay. Anything else, any other definitions that you've heard of grace? Wifey? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor is a very classic one. Very Baptisty. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. My favorite definition of grace is one that I came up with myself a long time ago. It is God's choice, and this is actually in the book itself, God's choice to continually love and accept us through Jesus. Grace is God's choice. So, who is the acting agent in grace? God. God is. Notice, if God is acting and God is choosing to act, where am I? What role do I have to play in God's grace? Receiving. 
I receive. See, this is a problem that a lot of American churches have and a lot of Christians have, is that we have conflated grace to say, okay, I now deserve grace. <coughs> we'll never deserve grace. That's what makes grace grace. Or they think it's owed to them. Or it's owed to them. Exactly. Grace can never be owed because there's no way we can, we can, we don't deserve that. So God's choice to continue to love us and accept us through Jesus Christ. Now, the next key phrase, key word is the phrase peace. The books are going to talk about how we can have peace with God, how we can have peace with one another, and how we can have peace within ourselves. Now, peace of mind. Now, that is the hardest one that we're going to talk about. It is much easier to reconcile with my brother than it is to reconcile with myself. How many of y'all still look back and you're like, man, that was a really stupid decision. You still kick yourself today for something you did 20 years ago. I did say All the time. So we need peace inside of ourselves that can only come from the hope offered in the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about in Ephesians. Okay? Some other key phrases, key words. Our identity in Christ. Now we're going to talk about that extensively next week. Hope. The power of God over evil and over fear. And last but not least, unity. The whole book is about unity. Now, that is a really quick overview of an introduction to Ephesians. Now, let's do something that's much more important than me talking. Let's discuss some questions. The whole book, I said, is about hope. Everything in this book is about hope. But in order to understand hope, we need to understand Hopelessness. So, what is hopelessness and how does it look like in your life? Go. What is hopelessness? I think for me, when I've been hopeless, it's like when I'm in a situation that's uncomfortable um, and kind of dis- just kind of a despair state and I don't <clears throat> see a way out. Stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Stuck. Uh-huh. <laughs> what else is hopelessness? Lost. Lost. Excellent words. I'll say confused. Confused. Afraid. Mixed up emotions. I think fear play a big part in that. Fear. Mixed up emotions. Despairing. Because you try one way, it ain't working, then you try another way, it ain't working. Try what you want me to do. So, (laughs) what I call that is I call that the cycle of despair. Let's talk about the cycle of despair, because this is essential for understanding Ephesians. And it gets into other questions I have. Okay, the cycle. You begin with something that's a bad, blah, stuff that stinks, right? Now, what happens for the cycle to continue? You said, you try something. Okay? You try something, but nine out of ten times, does that something work? No. No. So that is a false hope. When you experience that false hope, it shoots you right back into despair. Despair. Now, the scary thing about the cycle of despair is that these circles get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller smaller until you're just completely stuck in despair. Now, here's a great question. What false hopes have you used in your life to try to get out of hopelessness? What false hopes have you latched onto? Relationships. Oh, Lord Jesus. Relationships. 
drugs. Hard work. Hard work. Amen. What else? Self, self-reliance. Self-reliance. All right. How many of y'all have done one of those things? Multiple. <laughs> I bet <laughs> Why? Because it's like a... Because we're human, That's We're human. Uh-huh. And it's a numbness. It's like, okay, I can forget about my despair, but it only lasts... Like, you can only focus on your children for so long. Yes. And then, like, they grow up. Yes. <laughs> they don't need you as much. Or you get fired from your job. It is not a coincidence that 99.9% of all entertainment, including books and TV and video, audiovisual, whatever, all the themes include some sort of hope. Okay. I'm a nerd, so Star Wars, hope. Think about it. Everything's about hope. Everything's about, is there hope for us to continue as a people? Paul's answer to this is 100 million percent yes, and that hope is the gospel. That's what this whole letter is about. It's about the gospel. But you know what? Sometimes, like... I was listening to a podcast with Richard Gore and Oprah Winfrey, and they were saying, like, hope is so hard to hold on to, but, like, misery is, like, you can get in the bed with it, cover Like, misery is easy to hold yes. on to because it's always there, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't go anywhere, but hope, it's hard to maintain that hope and joy versus despair. Absolutely. I say sometimes if you put, no, not sometimes, all the time, if you put prayer with hope, that equals a win. Okay, now, that's because you just changed the word. When you add prayer and other things to the word hope, you then start practicing something called faith. What's the difference between faith and belief? Alright, so the difference between faith and belief. I am an overweight, middle-aged white guy. You could not pay me a billion dollars to jump out of an airplane. Ain't going to happen. I do not want to do that at all. That's I have, no, I'll get you. <laughs> now, I have friends that like to skydive, and I think they're crazy. I don't want to, and that ain't going to happen. Now, if I was forced to, I was in a plane that happened to have a parachute, and it was going down, and everything was packed perfectly, everything was done to the extreme of awesomeness, and I... Do I believe that that parachute would save my life? Do you believe that if everything went off perfectly, that a parachute would save your life if you had to? Yes. Yes. Do you have faith in that parachute? No. no. <laughs> when, when do you get faith? You get faith when you jump out of the plane. Yeah. See, I, have, I believe all day long in that parachute. Yep, it's going to get me there. It's going to get me there. It's going to get me there. But until I jump out the airplane, I don't have faith in that parachute. Because what happens when I put my faith in that parachute? If it don't work, what's going to happen to me? I'm dead. We've, we've all shared that we felt that despair. Mm-hmm. All of us have shared that we've latched on to false hopes, whether it's relationships, drugs, or whatever. And the, the horrible thing about that cycle of despair is sometimes that cycle gets so quick that you're willing to accept the next best thing, even knowing that it's going to destroy you in the end. I have seen this a lot with 
uh, women that have been in abusive relationships. They get out of a relationship, and they're so desperate to feel loved that they jump right back into another one with another guy from the same bar thinking that it's going to be a different story, only to find out that it's the same story. Everyone's looking for something. something. Yeah. So as a Christian, what, what are we called to look for? What's our hope? And so to answer this question, we're going to look at, and we're going to use some sanctified imagination, as my professor used to say. We're going to, we're going to guess, but that's okay. When you think about the Apostle Paul, before he met Jesus, what was his hope in? Being righteous, being zealot for the faith. Being a zealot, being right. What else? What else do you think his hope was in? The law. The law. Absolutely. He was willing to do whatever it took to be obedient to what he thought was right. Paul was a religious person lost in despair of the false hope of religion. What about the Ephesians? Oh, another thing that Paul, again, I'm using my sanctified imagination here. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But I think Paul placed a lot of hope in the fact that he was Jewish. That was a big deal back in those days. Like, I got God. We good. Awesome. So being Jewish in that time period, their identity of just their, their ethnicity was a massive deal you know, wrapped up with their religion as well. Um, Let's talk about the Ephesians. So we've talked about how they were definitely influenced by this Artemis culture, by this magical arts culture. What was their hope before Jesus? What do you think? What were they wrapped up into? What was their thing that they were latching on to? Artemis, all the gods. Absolutely, being Roman. Keeping the gods happy. Keeping the gods happy, keeping Artemis happy. How would you keep Artemis happy? You go to the pagan temple, you buy her stuff, you do the little stuff with the kids. They had all these weird ceremonies where kids would have to wear masks for like three days and run around town. It was crazy, weird rituals, stuff. Rituals, like going through just all these struggles. Yeah, rituals. That's where their hope was. Now, where was their hope, both the Ephesians and the Christians, after they met Jesus? What was their hope for Paul and the Ephesian believers? What did their hope become? After Paul met Jesus, his hope changed. What did it change to? The gospel. The gospel. What is that? What is the gospel? We say that word the all the time. News, the good news that Jesus died for us. Okay. So let's, let's break that down. This is essentially important. So the gospel. Good news. Jesus died for us. In what way does Jesus dying for you give you hope to get out of that cycle. When we have Jesus as our hope, it changes everything. One of the things you're going to find out about how I teach, I do not want to give you just head knowledge. Head knowledge is great, but it does absolutely nothing. What does something is if you can walk out of here with the text influencing your life. And that's what we're moving towards. Hope. So I did addiction ministry for 10 years. And 
And one of the things that I learned about addicts, and they taught, about, they taught me as well, because I realized it wasn't just an addict problem. We go back to what we know. We would rather go back to the hell that we know than face something else because we don't know. That is really messed up to think about. The gospel is a reality for our lives. Now, next week, we're going to talk about a realized hope. And hope is a twofold process. You can have a here and now hope, and you can have a future hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ is both a future hope and a here and now hope. Let's imagine that somehow you got stuck out in the desert. You've been there for four days. You got no food. You got no water. You're about to die. You cross over a sand dune and you see a sign. And this sign, big old wooden sign, it says, and don't worry, you're going to be well fed and well watered in a day because you're going to die. Now, does that offer you hope? No. Why not? Wait, wait you really does, though, because you know you're going to die. And okay. So it's a future hope. But now let's say that you are a 30 something year old who has everything to live for. You have four kids at home that you absolutely want to see grow up. You, is that hope for you? No. You need, you need something like, you don't need that sign. Like, yes, it's a reality. There is a future coming where you're going to be full and satisfied, but that, that's then. I need now. Right? What you need that sign to say is, hey, bro, if you go... 300 feet that way, there's a 7-Eleven that's going to take care of you. Now, if I saw that sign, I'd be like, hallelujah. Give me a slush. <laughs> what Paul does is he says, look, Christian, look, Christian, look, 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 look. Heaven, heaven is so beyond our imagination. It's so glorious and it's so splendid. It is going to rock our world. And it's awesome. But you don't have to wait till you die to experience it. You can experience that reality now. And that's hope. And Paul's going to hammer this home. He's going to hammer home that our hope is in the gospel. And the gospel is all about how God has made us his children. And he's changed our identity. But our struggle is going to continue to be that we forget that. We don't live like because we don't focus on that. Why do I still find myself wrapped up in the cycle of despair? I find myself every day in that cycle, continually. And I'm a preacher who just wrote this huge lesson on Ephesians. And yet I still struggle with this. Why? Because it's so much easier to go with what I know. The gospel calls us to go out to experience a reality that we cannot feel. And that takes faith. And discipline. And, and discipline and courage. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, one another. Amen. See, the reality is I cannot live my life as a Christian without <laughs> you. 
I can't do it. Because I'm an idiot. And I'm going to be walking along and you're like, hey bro, you know there is a huge pit right there. You're about to... <laughs> Spike, you need help getting out of that pit? <laughs> we need one another. That's what the whole book's about. So, next week we're going to look at chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through the end of the chapter. Let's all say thank, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Hi, my name is Nicholas Wurst. I'm the executive minister here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. I just want to say thank you for listening. You can learn more about our church online at onefellowshipumc.org. And you can like us on Facebook to stay up to date with all the latest events in our community. Please feel free to share this message and others online so that more people can learn about what God is doing here at One Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.